Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Indeed, it is the final show before my little vacation. Haven't taken a proper vacation in a very long time. But fear not, while I'm gone, I'm not actually gone because I'm going to be dropping some segments on the Secular Talk YouTube channel that might even be controversial, which is fun. Um, So there's a lot of stuff to get to in the show today. Um, Let me give you... A wee bit of a rundown, we have um, Joe Biden gave a final speech on the war in Afghanistan, and he told everybody to fuck off. I actually really like the speech. We have uh, Donald Trump weighed in yet again on this issue of the war in Afghanistan, and he's basically the biggest flip-flopper on the planet, and he believes in nothing, so I'll be going after him. Tucker Carlson cucks himself to the deep state because he also believes in nothing and uh, pretended to be anti-war for five and a half seconds until he wasn't, until a Democrat ended a war. Then we have uh, some, we, it's, it's mostly Afghanistan today. It, it's not out of the news. It's still in the news and people are being super fucking annoying. So we're going to have to deal with that. The corporate media hack went full neocon. We'll talk about that. There was a secret deal between the U.S. and the Taliban that we'll talk about. I got China banning video games during the weekdays for kids. Uh, There's a lot of stuff. So sit back, relax, take it easy. Later on, I'll give you some new numbers. Trust in media at historic low yet again. Um, All right, without further ado, let's get started. And we'll do that with defiant Joe Biden. President Joe Biden came out and yet again gave a speech on Afghanistan. This is his final speech on Afghanistan. Um, The whole point of this was to say, listen, the very last soldier has now left um, the 
Hamid Karzai Airport, the airport in Kabul, and uh, it's over. It's done. There are zero American service members in Afghanistan right now. The evacuation effort was wildly successful. We got out over 120,000 people in record time. Um, so he wanted to give everybody a final update on it, and it was pretty clear he wanted to tell his critics to shove it. Take a look. The United States ended 20 years of war in Afghanistan, the longest war in American history. We completed one of the biggest airlifts in history with more than 120,000 people evacuated to safety. The extraordinary success of this mission was due to the incredible skill, bravery, and selfless courage of the United States military and our diplomats and intelligence professionals. And they did it, knowing ISIS-K terrorists, sworn enemies of the Taliban, were lurking in the midst of those crowds. And still, the women and men of the United States military, our diplomatic corps, and intelligence professionals did their job and did it well, risking their lives, not for professional gains, but to serve others. Not in a mission of war, but in a mission of mercy. That assumption that the Afghan government would be able to hold on for a period of time beyond military drawdown turned out not to be accurate. But I still instructed our national security team to prepare for every eventuality, even that one. And that's what we did. So we were ready. We got thousands of Afghan translators and interpreters and others who supported the United States out as well. Now we believe that about 100 to 200 Americans remain in Afghanistan with some intention to leave. Most of those who remain are dual citizens, long-time residents who had earlier decided to stay because of their family roots in Afghanistan, so we're left with a simple decision. Either follow through on the commitment made by the last administration and leave Afghanistan, or say we weren't leaving and commit another tens of thousands more troops going back to war. That was the choice, the real choice. I was not going to extend this forever war, and I was not extending a forever exit, but I also know that the threat from terrorism continues in its pernicious and evil nature. But it's changed. Expanded to other countries. Our strategy has to change, too. We'll maintain the fight against terrorism in Afghanistan and other countries. We just don't need to fight a ground war to do it. I believe this is the right decision, a wise decision and the best decision for America. I made a commitment to the American people that I would end this war. Today, I've honored that commitment. It was time to be honest with the American people again. We no longer had a clear purpose in an open-ended mission in Afghanistan. After 20 years of war in Afghanistan, I refused to send another generation of America's sons and daughters to fight a war that should have ended long ago. After more than $2 trillion spent in Afghanistan, Cost of research at Brown University estimated would be over $300 million a day for 20 years in Afghanistan, for two decades. Yes, the American people should hear this, $300 million a day for two decades. You take the number of $1 trillion, as many say, that's still $150 million a day for two decades. What have we lost as a consequence in terms of opportunity? I refuse to continue a war that was no longer in the service of the vital national interest of our people. And most of all, after 800,000 Americans serving in Afghanistan, I traveled that whole country, brave and honorable service. After 20,744 American servicemen 
and women injured, and the loss of 2,461 American personnel, including 13 lives, lost just this week. I refuse to open another decade of warfare in Afghanistan. I have to say, after weeks and weeks of corporate media pro-war, pearl-clutching meltdowns, that was refreshing to hear. So he was defiant once, he was defiant twice, he was defiant three times, and this might even be the fourth or fifth time where he came out and was like, did I stutter, bitch? It's ironic because he actually used to have a stutter, but <laughs> he very clearly was like, no, I'm going to stick to this, and you guys can shriek and bitch and moan all you want, but that's what we're going to do. So uh, at another point in the speech, he said, listen, we warned Americans there 19 times to get out since March. 19 times. So basically saying, like, hey, if you're still there, that's sort of on you, dog. Now he went on to say, like, yeah, we're still going to try to do evacuation missions to get them out. We have the cooperation of the Taliban. So he said that as well. But he also was like, don't, like, don't say shit to me about this because we told them a million times. And I didn't know that fact he brought up that of the people who remain, most of them are dual citizens. There you go. So, you know, over 120,000 people evacuated, and you want to know how many Americans remain? About a couple hundred. There's about 200 Americans left. They um, withdrew over 5,000 Americans. That includes service people and contractors and whatever civilians were there. So that's wildly successful, son. That's wildly successful. Um, now, he's, the only part of that that I didn't like is he says, we're going to maintain the fight against terrorism in Afghanistan and other countries. Okay, so are you saying, yeah, we'll keep doing drone strikes and we'll keep doing bombings uh, with fighter jets. Now, I don't know if he's just saying that or if he means it, because it is true that the nearest base we have to Afghanistan is very far away from Afghanistan, which is a good thing because that means we can't just willy-nilly go bomb a wedding party or whatever. Um, but I think that's what he means. I think he means we're going to keep the drone war going, we're going to keep the fighter jets going. And, I mean, I highly recommend against that. And the reason I recommend against that is very simple. That's how Trump decided to fight in Afghanistan, and we had a record number of civilian casualties when Trump used that strategy. We dropped over 7,200 bombs or something like that in 2018 or 2019, and we had a record number of civilian casualties. By the way, one uh, group of people he didn't bring up in his speech here, which he should have, is the over 50,000 innocent Afghanistan civilians who died. They count, too. They're important, too. So the only part I didn't like about that is, you know, oh, we're going we're gonna to keep the fight up in the war on terror, and we're going to do it in Afghanistan and other countries. No, you should end the war on terror. It has objectively failed, and I simply don't trust your ability to do anything right. When they did the retaliatory strike for the ISIS bombing outside of the airport, what happened? He ended up killing children and civilians. And, by the way, the government is still sort of denying that. They're like, oh, yeah, we killed uh, planners and commanders from ISIS in our strike. And all the evidence and all the data and all the people on the ground say, absolutely not. You killed civilians and children, and here are their names. So ease up on the drone. I get it. Like, the media is hammering him in a million different ways and trying to make it seem like he's weak and all this stuff. And so he might feel like, I gotta, oh, I, I'm overcompensating now, and i got to make sure, no, 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 I'm tough, and I'll bomb stuff. But what happens when you do that, and you have terrible intelligence, because obviously your intelligence sucks, is you end up killing women and children and innocent people. So don't do that. Now, I do love how he brought up the price. He said it's $300 million a day for 20 years. There's another report that just came out um, 
the war on terror and all of our wars in the Middle East, now they say the number, when all said and done, the total amount we will have spent is $8 trillion. $8 trillion and nearly a million deaths. A million. So understand something. If you, instead of waging these wars, which made the world worse off, if you took this money and just divvied it up and handed it out to the 330 million Americans, you know how much money each American would get? About $24,000. Could have used this money for that. We could use this money to say, let's not wage imperialist, exploitative, dumb wars. Let's just take the $8 trillion and hand it out to Americans. $24,000 apiece. $24,000 apiece. Just to give you a little, little taste of what could have been, what should have been. But listen, got to keep it real. I got a million problems with Joe Biden, but Joe Biden did the right thing here. And I was wrong. I didn't expect in a million years from to end the war in Afghanistan. Not at all. I mean, maybe you could have seen him do a Trump-style thing where it was like a fake withdrawal, where you keep thousands there and you're like, we've withdrawn or something. But you're not going to fool me with that shit because I follow this stuff like a hawk. And like I told you guys when it was Trump, he was fake withdrawn. Trump said he was going to get out like four or five times, and he just didn't. And I think the generals behind the scenes could just convince him otherwise. And so, you know, he eventually came up with this, this drawdown, this timeline, which still was a fake drawdown because it still left thousands there. Um, Biden got really outskis. Now it's over. Kabul is, the Taliban has Kabul. It's done. And I don't really care about the opinions of the, the nitpickers of the withdrawal because Kabul was going to fall. Afghanistan was going to fall and become Talibanistan no matter what. So if we, even if we pulled out in 2050, these people would be saying the same things. Oh my God, we should have waited a little longer and withdrawn on a better timeline and moved the deck chairs around on the Titanic a little bit more before we get out. No, just you got to rip the Band-Aid off. you got to get out of there. There's really no reason to be there. And, you know, Biden has really doubled down and tripled down and quadrupled down and held steady on this. And for that, I think he deserves tremendous credit, especially because he was at 55% approval rating on Afghanistan, and then now with all the relentless media propaganda on that specific issue, he dropped to 25% approval. He's at a record low approval for his overall approval rating because of the spike in COVID and because of this. So, but he's staying strong and he's like, I'm doing the right thing here. Eventually the history books are going to catch up, but right now the media is hair on fire, meltdown mode. And listen, a lot of that has to do with the fact that who does the CIA, who does uh, the media listen to? They listen to their connects in the CIA, their connects in the Pentagon, and they're just stenographers to those people. So the deep state wants you to think endless war is good and it's positive. And so now they're nitpicking the withdrawal in a way that they never nitpicked the 20-year occupation, and here we are. So, and we're going to get to a lot more on this later. Most of this show is going to be Afghanistan because there's just so much to say about it. But I like the speech. I like the speech. He's incredibly defiant, and honestly, I can't – Bernie would have probably been like this too, but I can't think of anybody other than Bernie and Biden on that stage in the Democratic primary – who would have really stuck to their guns this much? Mayor Pete would have folded like a cheap lawn chair under the slightest bit of media pressure. Kamala Harris would have done the same thing. Uh, I don't think anybody would have really had the cojones, except clearly Biden and Bernie, to make a decision, stick to it, let the chips fall where they may, and be aggressive in their pitch. So on this issue specifically, riding with Biden. All right, next. 
So President Trump um, tweeted about a zillion times, we need to get out of Afghanistan, it's so stupid, why are we there, we shouldn't nation build, we should build our own country. Um, and there were a number of times where he announced on Twitter, like, we're getting out. And then what would happen is behind the scenes, some generals and some CIA officials would come up to him and say, sir, we can't do this, here's why we can't do this. And he would, he would be like, okay, no, totally, you're right, we're not going to get out. And um, so this was a, a dance and a game that was going on behind the scenes the entire time he was in office for the four years. At the end, apparently, when he lost the election, he snapped and said, get the troops out of everywhere. And lo and behold, he was talked out of that as well. I would have given him massive credit if on the way out he was like, Somalia, you're out. Uh, Niger, you're out. Everywhere where we have uh, troop stations, gone. I would have given him so much credit. But, of course, he was talked out of it because he's a cuck. Um, so he had a deal with the Taliban that was a – it's not sort of a fake withdrawal by May 1st. It would still keep a couple thousand um, contractors there and uh, American soldiers there. And I criticized that because he was trying to claim, you know, the political benefit of getting out while not having the reality of getting out. So there's a lot to criticize there. It's also just a lie to say we're getting out when he's not getting out. Um, the good thing they did do, though, is they did negotiate with the Taliban uh, that's something they should have done in the same way I think they should have negotiated with North Korea. Now, not much came of that, but we didn't have a war, so, you know, I'll take it. Um, so when recently Biden came out, I was like, no, we're going to actually get out of Afghanistan. It's over. Uh, they went and talked to Trump, and Trump was like, well, you should have stuck to the earlier timeline. You should have actually left sooner, and getting out of Afghanistan is a wonderful thing to do. Great. So I covered that, and I was like, whoa, look at this. Trump is giving Biden credit. Awesome. Well, of course, of course, it's Donald Trump. There's no consistency. There's no principles. There's no beliefs about anything. Now that the withdrawal happened and the media is being incredibly vicious and nitpicking every single nook and cranny in a way that they never nitpicked or scrutinized the war itself, Trump flips. Let's see what he had to say. So he releases a statement. He says, Never in history has a withdrawal from war been handled so badly or incompetently as the Biden administration's withdrawal from Afghanistan. In addition to the obvious, all equipment should be demanded to be immediately returned to the United States, and that includes every penny of the $85 billion in cost. If it is not handed back, we should either go in with unequivocal military force and get it, or at least bomb the hell out of it. Nobody ever thought such stupidity as the feeble-brained withdrawal was possible. There's a lot to say about this. First of all, um, most of that equipment is already Dunsky. It's already, it, it won't work. It's not possible for it to work. Um, in fact, we learned this when they withdrew from uh, Bagram. The Afghan military was like, hey, dog, you didn't leave us with the keys to any of these vehicles. You didn't teach us how to do a bunch of these things like fly the planes and repair the planes. And basically the response from America was like, new phone, who this? We didn't know what you're talking about. We didn't know what you're talking about. know what saying. Now, everybody criticized them initially, including myself at that. But then you realize why they didn't do it, because maybe they had a hunch at some point the Taliban might take over. So... We don't want to leave you with the keys. We don't want to leave you with the ability to have fighter jets that you haven't been properly trained to use. When it comes to repairs for things like tanks and fighter jets, they're really difficult to do upkeep. They can't get the fucking parts. What are they going to do? The Taliban's going to call up Lockheed Martin and say, hey, you need to send me this nut and this bolt. 
Not going to happen. So right off the bat, all the helicopters, all the planes, all the tanks, not usable, gonzo. Then you get to, like, the small weapons. More than half the small weapons have been lost or destroyed. So now, don't get me wrong. Did the Taliban get some equipment? Of course they did. But it's negligible. It's, and they already have the country. So it's like, oh, my God, they have the weapons. Now they're going to use this to, what, take over the country that they already have control over? It's donezo. It's over. They're a guerrilla army. They're not a global jihadist network. So in other words, they're not trying to bomb Cleveland like maybe ISIS would be or al-Qaeda would be. So what he's calling for is restarting the war. <laughs> he's saying, well, if they don't give back all the weapons and the $85 billion in cost, they couldn't even give back all the weapons if they wanted to because they don't even have all the weapons. Um, he's saying go in there and bomb all the stuff or bomb them. If it's not handed back, we should either go in with unequivocal military force and get it, so restart the war, or at least bomb the hell out of the stuff. Mr., you know, I'm anti-war. I'm a populist. I think we should focus on our own. America first. Now he's like, Afghanistan first. Let's go. Let's bomb. Let's invade. Let's destroy the weapons that are already mostly destroyed. What are you doing, dude? And by the way, this is so ironic coming from Trump. Why? He's the one who did a multi-billion dollar weapons deal with Saudi Arabia, a country that has Sharia, a theocratic authoritarian country that spreads radical Islam all across the globe. So it's fine to arm them as they commit a genocide in Yemen, but oh my God, the Taliban got our sloppy seconds. <clears throat> enough, enough, enough. He, what does he do? He's a wave rider, Trump is. He sees, oh, the media is really t attacking Biden on this, being really vicious. Well, now let me ride that wave, too. Even though I said a million times I support getting out, now that somebody actually got out, I'm going to flip on how they did it. Fuck out of here, man. This has been driving me crazy, and you're going to see this in the next segment, too. We're going to talk about Tucker. There are so few people who are in politics, on the right and the left, who just care about the principle and the policy and the issue. Everybody talks more about the process or the people involved. I don't like this person, so I'm going to I don't give a fuck if you don't like somebody. I don't care how you feel about an individual. What matters is the issue. What matters is the policy. But everybody gets wound up in the process or the people involved, and the whole commentary is about different personalities or the way in which things unfold. I don't give a fuck about the way. Where do you stand on the actual issue as such? Should we get out of Afghanistan, or should we not get out of Afghanistan? And if that's not the bulk of your commentary, you're fucking obfuscating. And you're doing sophistry. And it's bullshit. And I'm totally sick of it, because everybody's doing it. Where do you stand on the actual issue? Well, guess what? Biden got out, and the history books in the long run are going to say, he was right to get out. He was more than right to get out. Should have gotten out way sooner. So all this nitpicking, I don't care what they have to say. I love one of the things I saw on Twitter, hilarious. They were like, Donald Trump was president. He would have gotten out of Afghanistan and made sure to take all the equipment and get all of our people out. Well, first of all, we almost got all of our people out. The ones who remain are mostly dual citizens, and there's like a couple hundred of them. But also, Donald Trump was president. He was president, and he didn't do the thing that you said he would have done. He ended up staying there and doing a fake withdrawal. That's what Donald Trump would have done. And we know because he was president. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. Oh, Jesus Christ.
No principles, no beliefs. I think we should get out of Afghanistan. Did I say that? I mean we should go back in with unequivocal military force. That would be the opposite of withdrawing from Afghanistan. That would be another surge. Another surge to get some broken down, dilapidated, more than half not working weaponry bullshit that would just sit in a tank, sit in a desert and rot. Hmm. Good lord. Good lord. By the way, this guy's probably the favorite for 2024. He's almost a shoe in for the Republican nomination, right? Okay. Then what? What are we going to have on the Democratic side? Biden needs to survive to run again. And even that's a coin flip, him versus Trump again. And if it's like Kamala or some shit, I think Trump is the favorite. Why is everything so stupid? I don't know why it is, but at least Biden got out. Credit to him. Son of a bitch. Here we go. Tucker Carlson. In the past, I've heard people unironically say, you can't cuck the tuck. Goddamn. Um, Well, on top of being massively cringe, um, that indeed is not true. You can cuck the tuck. And that's exactly what happened here. Tucker Carlson... Um, was, you know, he, he would always go out there and pretend to be um, Mr. Populist and I'm anti-neocon and I want to end the wars because I'm like this edgy, cool new version of a right-winger. I'm not like the old-school dipshit movement conservatives. I'm like young and hip and whatever, even though I'm not young and I'm not hip, but you get it. I represent this new sort of paleo-conservative ideology, and we're different. We're different. Oh, are you? Well, let's find out. Here he is commenting on... Joe Biden's withdrawal. Take a look. We're starting to learn the identities of some of the large but still unknown number of Americans, in the low hundreds, they've assured us, who were abandoned by the U.S. military this week and remain trapped in Taliban-controlled Afghanistan. The Sacramento Bee has just reported that at least two dozen students enrolled in the San Juan Unified School District in the state of California are stranded somewhere in Afghanistan tonight. No one's certain where they are or how they're going to get home. The White House hasn't bothered to comment despite being asked. What's so interesting, the contrast that informs us really, is that over the past week, this same administration has overseen the evacuation of tens of thousands of unvetted Afghan nationals, many of whom will now be moved into neighborhoods around the United States and stay permanently. They didn't seem to encounter any problems in doing this, thanks to meticulous and thoughtful planning, Operation Change America Forever came off precisely according to plan. It worked flawlessly. But a couple of dozen American school kids trapped in Afghanistan? The White House isn't really interested in what happens to them. So they passed that portfolio to Tony Blinken, which tells you how completely unimportant they consider it. Quote, if there's an American citizen left in Afghanistan, Joe Biden told us the other day, we're going to stay until we get them all out. Right. He didn't mean that. So what's Tony Blinken's plan to get them all out, to rescue the American citizens trapped tonight in Afghanistan? Well, as Blinken told us yesterday, the governments of Haiti and the Republic of Congo have sent a strongly worded letter to the Taliban, and beware, they mean it. 
You wouldn't want to see the Republic of Congo when it's mad. That's the kind of week it's been. Whenever you think we have reached peak insanity, they double down. This afternoon, the supposed President of the United States appeared out of nowhere and decided to speak in public. Did you see it? How to describe the experience exactly? Weird is just the beginning. So first off, for example, Biden announced that the United States is done with Afghanistan forever. We're gone and we're not coming back, ever. Then Biden angrily announced that we, quote, hunt down something called ISIS-K, which sounds suspiciously like a new line of cosmetics from Kim Kardashian, but apparently isn't. This ISIS-K, Biden said, may be hiding in Afghanistan, in which case we will hunt them down there in Afghanistan. So actually, we're not really leaving Afghanistan. We could be back very soon. The whole speech was like that. It was disorienting. At one point, Biden bragged about what a remarkably, really a stunningly and historically successful military and intelligence operation we have just witnessed, all of us together. Apparently, Biden is under the impression that the entire United States has lost electrical power and no one has a working Internet connection. So this is what he said. We completed one of the biggest airlifts in history with more than 120,000 people evacuated to safety. That number is more than double what most experts thought were possible. No nation, no nation has ever done anything like it in all of history. The only the United States had the capacity and the will and the ability to do it, and we did it today. The extraordinary success of this mission was due to the incredible skill, bravely, and selfless courage of the United States military and our diplomats and intelligence professionals. So no nation in history has ever done anything like this. Yeah, possible. But he didn't mean it like that. He's telling us that this was the Berlin airlift, plus D-Day, plus the moonshot, plus the invention of yoga pants. This was a triumph of American brilliance and ingenuity and will. Fifty years from now, your grandchildren will celebrate fall of cobble day with tears of pride in their eyes. My ancestors did that, they'll think. As we said, it was demented. It was literally demented. But over at the White House, they seem to believe every word of it. They are losing consciousness from huffing their own fumes. Well, they're right. They're right about it. If you had the exact same set of facts, and Donald Trump did it, and not Joe Biden, everybody knows Tucker Carlson would be singing Donald Trump's praises. Everybody knows Tucker would be talking about the number of people who were evacuated successfully. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. But instead, Tucker goes on the offense and nitpicks the withdrawal exactly like pro-war corporate media, which means he's what? Pro-war corporate media. This is cucking to the deep state and the neocons and the military-industrial complex. That's exactly what this is. And don't take my word for it. Take another fellow paleoconservative who previously was probably a big defender of Tucker Carlson. And we'll get to this later, but Ann Coulter is giving Joe Biden credit. Ann Coulter's like, listen, you got to hand it to him. He's doing America first. He's getting out of this place. He evacuated a lot of people successfully. What are you going to do? He had the balls to do what Trump only talked about doing. He had the balls to do what Trump only talked about doing. So let's go through this, because virtually everything he says there is completely disingenuous. So, Americans were left behind. We got out 120,000 people, over 5,000 Americans. And you know how many remain? About 200. There's about 200 Americans who remain. And most of those people are dual citizens. 
and they chose to stay behind. They chose to do it. So weird. He doesn't bring up the specific numbers. Maybe because if you bring up the specific numbers, it actually sounds quite a bit like it was a good job. It was historic. It was amazing to get that many people out in an in a incredibly short time span. They also told these people 19 times since March, you got to get out. You got to get out. You got to get out. Now, some of them didn't listen. Whatever happened, now these are the conservatives who have a personal responsibility. Now, all of a sudden, there's no personal responsibility. We get out over 120,000 people and only a couple hundred remain. And it's not their issue. It's not their issue. Even though they were told 19 times to get out and a lot of them are dual citizens. It's not their issue. You're going to blame Joe Biden for that? And by the way, he doesn't mention uh, the Taliban cooperated. And we'll get to a story later. I'll give you the specifics of there was high-level cooperation, where it was very clear the Taliban was working with the United States, and they cut a secret deal. And obviously, ISIS was the problem. We spent $300 million per day. Um, he says, now this part, again, this is just, this is Tucker trying to mislead his audience. He says, they've overseen the evacuation of tens of thousands of Afghan nationals. Now, he phrases that as if, you know, it's something people should be against. In fact, he calls it Operation Change America Forever. So this is like anti-immigrant and anti-refugee sentiment. Except what's the problem? The entire right wing, along with all of corporate media, in unison in the initial days of the Taliban takeover of Kabul, what did they say? How could you leave behind the 80,000 people who are up in the United States of America? There's the interpreters and the families of the interpreters and all these innocent people, and they just want to successful future and they just want to live peaceful lives and how could you leave them behind so biden's like good point all right let's get him out and he does and they're like oh operation change america forever we don't want these refugees here we don't want them at all they're these people are liars it doesn't matter what joe biden did in this instance he was going to get attacked and that is the hallmark of a complete hack tucker is a complete hack he doesn't actually believe in something and then hold people to that standard and argue for that. He just flips his standard. If a Democratic president does the thing that he nominally liked, all of a sudden he flips on the thing that he said he believed in. Again, if Trump did the exact same thing as Biden here, if the exact same set of facts unfolded and it was Trump who got uh, all these people out and pulled out of Afghanistan, he'd be singing his praises. Chuck would be like 120,000 people were brought to safety by the amazing American military and the incredible commander-in-chief, Donald Trump. And we got all, all of the soldiers out of Afghanistan the way that the president promised he would do. He ended the forever war. But since it's Biden, he goes on the offense and he attacks. Operation Change America Forever, please. He's saying it wasn't a successful withdrawal when we got out 120,000 people. And again, in the initial fall of Kabul, when the Taliban took over, everybody, including President Trump, released a statement and was like, how could you leave behind our, the people who helped us? <laughs> so Biden fixes that, and they're like, I can't believe you're helping the people who helped us. You should leave them there. We don't want to change the nature of this country and bring in refugees. Um, the only area where he has a little bit of a point is when he says, um, Biden says, we're done with Afghanistan forever. And then he goes on to say, we'll hunt down ISIS wherever they are, even if they're in Afghanistan. Okay, so you're not really done with it forever. I mean, I get the point Biden is making. He's saying there's no more ground troops. There's no more occupation. You know, if we do anything, it'll be a drone strike or, or bombing from a fighter jet. But the nearest base is so far away. But 
you know, yeah, that still counts. That still counts as intervening. That still counts as doing an active war, even though we're not at war in the country. So on that one, he has a, a point. But everything else is complete bullshit. Listen, I, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around the fact that most of the commentariat is just, they're all total frauds and charlatans and conmen. The extent of the contribution from all of these freaks is like, turn on MSNBC, what's the argument? Democrat good, Republican bad. Turn on Fox News, what are they arguing? Republican good, Democrat bad. Like, that's their, ultimately, that's their entire contribution to the discourse. They are saying nothing. They are total mindless drones regurgitating stale talking points that could have been delivered by somebody in 1978 playing the same game of Democrat good or Republican good or whatever. It's so dumb. How can anybody like this? How can anybody enjoy this? How can anybody find this even mildly intellectually stimulating? The dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life and the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. This is a guy who pretended to be a paleocon and be anti-war, and now all of a sudden he's nitpicking the withdrawal in a way that he never nitpicked the occupation. You think there are problems with the withdrawal? That's the most competent part of the entire time we were there. It, the actual occupation was way worse. Way wor- we allied with warlords with child sex slaves, and our military blew the whistle on, the chi- on them having child sex slaves, and then they were discharged. That seems like it's important. That seems like it's important. It seems like it's important that we wasted $8 trillion in these Middle East wars, and I'm not going to show for it, and nearly a million people died. That seems important. There's a million things you could pick apart about um, our war in Afghanistan and our wars in the Middle East, and instead of having those conversations, instead of discussing the Afghanistan papers in detail, they, they nitpick the withdrawal as if that's the problem, and that's what gets all the scrutiny, and it, so it presents a misleading picture to people. The withdrawal was the problem when we were there. Everything was hunky-dory, and Tucker's partaking in that. He's cucking to the deep state. That's exactly what this is. So his partisan, his partisan feelings override any nominal principles he pretended to have. And this is virtually everybody in media. I'm so sick of people who are narrative humpers. I'm so sick of them. They're so useless. They're so pathetic. And honestly, you see it a lot in new media too. Anybody who drives home a narrative and never allows for any nuances and any caveats and any, well, this doesn't really fit into my narrative, so I need to tweak my worldview, they're frauds and they're lying to you. And it's not true. You know, for example, I despise Joe Biden with a burning passion. But he fucking pulled out of Afghanistan, which you have to give him credit for, if you support pulling out of Afghanistan. You can't tap dance around that shit or do the mental gymnastics to be like, well, here's the reason why he doesn't deserve credit for doing the fucking thing that I said I wanted him to do. So you got all these narrative humpers. Democrat good, Republican good, Democrat bad, Republican bad. They're the left flank is always good people who are wrong. They're the left flank is always bad people who are wrong. They're, all the politicians are exactly the same no matter what people. That's also incorrect. You have to go based on the issues and based on the evidence and based on the data. And everybody's being dishonest and everybody's fucking lying to you. And here you have Mr. Fake Populist, Mr. I'm a paleoconservative. You're nothing. You're a hack. You're a hack. You're, you're a paid puppet to go out there and do the same thing that Bill O'Reilly did in the same time slot for decades. So congratulations. Okay, next. So we just spoke about uh, Tucker Carlson. He pretended to be anti-war for so long. All of a sudden, Democrat really ends a war, and he flips, and he's hypercritical of the withdrawal. 
Um, well, here we have this nominal straight reporter, Richard Engel, who's on the ground in Afghanistan, and he's going to use that position of authority of you know, being an investigative reporter on the ground. He's going to use that to push for full neoconservative imperialism. Watch. The worst capitulation of Western values in our lifetimes. You left behind. I went to Afghanistan. I arrived a couple of weeks ago. It was a republic backed by the United States, backed by the West. Now it is an emerging Islamic emirate trying to find its way. Oh, you mean like Saudi Arabia and the UAE and a bunch of our top allies? Oh, it's an Islamic emirate. Hmm. Okay, here's what pisses me off about this. Everybody likes to pretend that guys like Richard Engel, oh, he's not an opinion guy. He's just a straight reporter. Just the facts, sir. That's all it is. He's just giving you the facts. He's just giving you the information. He's just giving you the data. There is no ideology. There is no filter through which he views the world. And that's how everybody views them. And this is the lie that mainstream media tells you. They, they, make, they lull people to sleep. They lull people into believing that what they say is just straight news. Now, what those carnival barkers on YouTube and what those people, you know, on talk radio or whatever, on Twitch, you name it, what all those people, that's opinion. That is biased. That's from a particular perspective, but not Richard Engel. He's giving you the straight dope. That's what he's doing. He said this is the worst capitulation of Western values. The worst capitulation. What are the Western values? Allying with warlords with child sex slaves? Because that's what we did. Bombing weddings? Because that's what we did. Are these the Western values you're talking about? No, Western values means human rights and women's rights and freedom and democracy. Imagine being a grown-ass adult and thinking, that's why we wage wars. That's why we were in Afghanistan. Freedom and democracy and human rights and women's rights. It is objectively the case we didn't bring that about, and we weren't even trying to bring that about. It had a hell of a lot more to do with the trillions of dollars of mineral wealth in Afghanistan and the opium and the military-industrial complex profits and imperialism and keeping China and Russia at bay. That's what this had. He, he hasn't entertain any of that at all, even though those were the real motivations for us being there, he buys the line, hook, line, and sinker, oh, this is about Western values and making sure that we bring about peace and stability and freedom and human rights, which is why we propped up warlords with child sex slaves. He says, he says it was a republic, talking about um, Afghanistan. You don't think that's editorializing? You don't think that's an opinion? Ghani, the president, was a puppet president. He used to be a professor. He, they stole the election for him. They stole the election. The guy, the second there was a hint of a Taliban takeover, homeboy took $170 million in cash and ran out the back door with it. This was a republic. Why? Because you went to Kabul and you saw some women walking in the street without head coverings? That's why? He's incredibly biased. And he's a rube. And he buys everything that's fed to him by the military-industrial complex and uh, the CIA and the Pentagon and our intelligence agencies. And this is what you get. You get effectively a corporate robot spewing a line that the State Department wants you to hear. This is the worst capitulation of Western values. We don't even have clean water in Flint, Michigan. Our infrastructure gets a grade of D plus or C minus depending on the year. 
and you want Americans to be concerned about rebuilding Kandahar and Kabul and pretending like we're there to help the people. We don't even care about our own people. Millions of people in this country don't even have health insurance. And you want to tell me my government cares about an Afghan goat herder? The fuck is wrong with you? Grow up. Grow up, Richard Engel. Capitulation of Western values. This was a republic until the Taliban took over. Now it's theocracy. And we don't like theocracy, which is why we're best friends with Israel and best friends with Saudi Arabia and best friends with a bunch of theocracies around the world. We don't like authoritarianism, which is why we in many ways act authoritarian. Spy on everybody, torture people, get rid of habeas corpus and due process. That doesn't count. That doesn't count when we do it, because Western values, something, things. God damn it. So this is editorializing. This is opinion. This is pro-neoconservatism, pro-imperialism, and... They're pretending like it's straight news. So my question for uh, YouTube and all the social media outlets is, you guys say you want to clean up misinformation, clean up misleading stuff. Are you going to pull this down? Are you going to pull this down? Are you going to suspend the YouTube channel of MSNBC or NBC for pushing this propaganda? Because that's what this is. It's propaganda. It's an opinion, and they're pretending it's fact. Worst capitulation of Western values. Afghanistan was a republic. Misinformation? Misinformation much? I think that's what that is. That's what that is. Are they going to pull them down? No. Because the way it works is the billion-dollar corporations with all the power and all the connections, they get to say whatever they want. And they don't get strikes. They don't get pulled down. um, And they don't even get docked in the algorithm. I can be right about everything I say, but since I'm a small outlet and since I'm one dude with a loud mouth and I talk in a way that puts a lot of these elite douchebags off, well, you got to hide my stuff. And that's what they do with the algorithm. They hide secular talk stuff. It used to be recommended all over the place, have tremendous growth. Now we're recommended to almost no new people. So that's the punishment we get for being honest. I'm upfront with whatever sort of bias and worldview I have. I tell you the truth about it, and I tell you the truth about what's happening in the world. They're not upfront with their bias and their filter and their ideology, and they don't tell you the truth about what's in the world. But somehow we're docked and they're not. In fact, they get pumped out by YouTube and, and um, all the social media outlets and held up as if it's the gold standard of reporting. Does that look like the gold standard of reporting to you? Western values, capitulation of it. When this country was a republic, even though it wasn't at all a republic. There you have it. Your media is completely and utterly broken. If you were skeptical before, there's no way watching the coverage of Afghanistan that you could still be skeptical. We know the media has a lot of biases, right? So you have MSNBC is rah-rah Democrats. uh, Fox News is rah-rah Republicans, the establishments of both parties. The rest of the news is just rah-rah for the entire establishment. One thing we learned without a doubt is they have a massive pro-war bias. In fact, that might even be their biggest bias. Maybe it's because of sensationalism, and they want things to be sensationalistic. But it's likely because of their connections with the Pentagon and the CIA and the intelligence agencies and the deep state, and their stenographers to people with power. So they end up pushing a worldview that matches what the State Department wants. So they're propagandists. They're pro-war propagandists. And remember, in a world where they want a ministry of truth, the anti-war people like myself would always be the ones who were censored and deplatformed and pushed to the side and docked in the algorithm. The pro-war people would be held up as if it's objective. They're saying objective things. Does this look objective to you? Not even close.
Okay. All right. Next. This is really interesting, and a lot of people look like total morons right now. The U.S. cut a deal with the Taliban, and the Taliban upheld their end of the bargain. So let me read this to you. An official revealed the U.S. Special Operations Forces had a secret gate at the airport and established call centers to help Americans get through the process. None of the information was previously known publicly, and the information was clearly hidden from the news, perhaps as a way of protecting against further ISIS attacks. The official said Americans were notified to gather at a preset muster point close to the airport where the Taliban would gather the Americans, check their credentials, and then take them a short distance to to a gate manned by American forces who were standing by to let them inside amid huge crowds of Afghans seeking to flee, said CNN. Officials spoke anonymously to CNN due to the sensitivity of the arrangements, and the information is only now being disclosed out of concern for American safety. Throughout the evacuation, Biden administration officials stressed the Taliban was cooperating, and senior officials stated they had committed to provide safe passage for Americans, the report said. Clearly, this is what he was talking about, but couldn't say publicly. So, the United States cut a secret deal with the Taliban to get Americans out by any means necessary, including using this secret gate to get them through the airport and get them through the crowds. Um, it's not just Biden saying it. It's also our general saying it, that the Taliban is incredibly pragmatic and they were cooperating every step of the way. The other day when we had the attack, you had complete frauds and charlatans and con men and idiots and liars, even McMaster, for example. These people went out mainstream media to millions of people, and they said the Taliban is behind this attack. The Taliban wants ISIS to do the attack. The Taliban lost people in the attack. They lost fighters in the attack from ISIS. The Taliban has been fighting ISIS for years. For years, they've been fighting each other. It's something we covered six years ago, almost to the day on this show. You think these, these generals didn't know this? These officials didn't know this? They knew it. They knew this. So why did they go out there and lie to you and say the Taliban is behind the attack? Why would they do that? Stop and think about it. Why would they do that? Why would mainstream media and people in the military go out there and say, we think the Taliban is behind this attack, or at the very least they facilitated it? Why would they say that? They said that because they wanted Biden to not finish the withdrawal and go back in. So yet again, they lied, and they lied to continue endless war. Will a single person who lied about this now correct the record and now say, geez, I was 100% incorrect? Not a single one of them is going to do it. Nobody's going to correct the record. Nobody's going to resign for incompetence, whether it's in the media or in the military. They'll just keep moving forward as if nothing happened and as if they were right about the claim. And then there's people like me, myself and Crystal, we talked about this right when it happened. I was clear up front. I was like, no way this is the Taliban. Had I known it wasn't the Taliban. Because the Taliban was just doing a PR effort to try to get the world to accept them as a legitimate government. You think they wanted to do the one thing that would have maybe dragged the Americans back into their country? That's what they wanted to do. The one thing that would have undermined everything they worked towards. That's what they wanted to do? Now, I'm an idiot YouTuber with a loud mouth. I knew that. You think McMaster didn't know that? You think other people in the media who were saying this shit didn't know that? Everybody knew that. So they lied. They lied to try to keep the war in Afghanistan going, and there will be no accountability. And yet again, I go right back to the misinformation conversation. Hold on. YouTube tells me, and all the social media outlets tell me, well, we got to protect everybody from misinformation, so we got to ban this stuff that's misleading. Okay. 
Are you going to ban CNN clips because H.R. McMaster went on CNN and said the Taliban's behind the bombing? Are you going to ban them for spreading misinformation, pro-war misinformation, dangerous misinformation? Oh, no, you're not going to do that. That's only reserved for small independent content creators who buck your narrative, your pro-war narrative. Absolute sick joke, man. Absolute sick joke. They cooperated every single step of the way. They're being very pragmatic about it. They are currently in a battle with ISIS, and they got their hands full with ISIS. And they're going to continue to have their hands full with ISIS. People in this country wanted to blame them to drag us right back into war. Your media is beyond broken. Fox News does this all the time. They bring on former, uh, I think a former general or former commander, Jack Keane. And he gives his opinion on war. And actually, you know, no, I'm very serious and I'm a respected person. And guess what? They don't tell you he sits on the board of a think tank that's paid directly by the so-called defense contractors like Lockheed Martin. He gets a check cut to him from the military-industrial complex, and he goes out there and pretends, I'm just giving you the straight dope on war. I'm just telling you the truth. No, you're not. You're telling me all the time pro-war opinions because you're paid to give pro-war opinions because you're the propagandist for the military-industrial complex, and they don't even disclose that he's paid by these people. It's a cesspool. The media is a cesspool. The deep state is a cesspool. They want endless war, nonstop, nonstop. Nobody will correct the record. Nobody will tell the truth. Nobody will resign over the blatant lie. And uh, it says quite a bit, doesn't it? It's a miracle we actually got out of there, given the relentless propaganda against getting out of there. And there were a bunch of trap doors, too, by the way. We didn't talk about this, but there was an article that came out the other day where um, there was some offer on the table for the United States to control all the checkpoints of Kabul and basically just hold Kabul. And Biden was like, no, not going to do it. Why? Because he would have had to deploy thousands more troops, and American troops would have had to stay there and looked after the checkpoints, and that opens them up to more attacks, whether it be from ISIS or the Taliban in that instance. And he didn't want to deploy thousands more troops. He didn't want to put American lives in danger over it. But, of course, now he was hit on this fact after the fact, said, oh, my God, Biden had the ability to maintain control of Kabul, and he reneged on it, and he said he didn't want that. Good. Good. All these were traps to keep the U.S. in this endless war. And he put his middle finger up and stayed strong, and he deserves massive credit for that. And like I told you guys early on in this whole crisis, I'm reminded that I actually hate the media more than I hate our politicians, with just how viciously and vehemently the entire media was pro-war. Okay. All right, guys, let's take a break. When we come back, let's talk a little bit about China and how they banned kids from gaming. That is a really, really interesting story. Stay right there. We will be right back.
Son of a bitch, we are back, y'all. We are back, y'all. All right, last hour before I'm on vacation. Again, keep your eyes on the YouTube channel because stuff will still upload next week even though I'm not her. Um, but, yeah, it's proper vacation I haven't been on in quite a long time. So uh, I, will, I might record some stuff, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, <clears throat> all right, let's, uh, let's go to the China story. So this is something that uh, blew up the other day. Apparently, China decided to do a crackdown on gaming. So the Guardian says here, China has ordered its online gaming companies to further reduce the services they provide to young gamers in a move intended to curb what the authorities described as youth video game addiction. Under the new rule, young gamers are only allowed to spend an hour playing online games on Fridays, weekends, and holidays, according to the official news agency. I don't know how to pronounce that. Uh, The rules published by the National Press and Publication Administration said users under the age of 18 would be able to play games only from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. local time on those days. Online gaming companies would be barred from providing gaming services to minors in any form outside those hours, and we need to ensure they had put real name verification systems in place, said the regulator, which oversees the country's video game market. The latest move followed reports that children were using adult IDs to circumvent rules. Previously, the authorities had limited young gamers' playing time to 1.5 hours a day and to three hours on holidays. So I didn't know that there were previously regulations on this, 1.5 hours a day and three hours on holidays. I didn't know that. But now they went a hell of a lot further and only an hour on basically weekends. So, wow. Um, I mean, I think you guys know what my commentary on this is going to be. First of all, I'm surprised this is even happening. This is insane. Second of all, I mean, this is, this is uh, authoritarianism. This is when you don't have freedom and the government can just decide arbitrary things for you. Because also think about this. There are people who play video games, and that's their job. They make a living off of it. You know, they're actual professional gamers, of course, where there's competitions. But then there's also just, like, streamers who are gamers also. You know, probably most of the people on Twitch, correct me if I'm wrong, you guys would know this stuff better than me, um, most of the people on Twitch play games as they chat about whatever. Imagine just, like, saying, I declare that to be illegitimate. Why is that illegitimate? Why is that any different from a professional soccer player or some of the goofy sports that end up making it into the Olympics, like curling? And now, by the way, I'm not going after soccer or curling. I'm, I'm in favor of people. If you want to do that 24 hours a day, be my guest. But I don't know why gaming should be treated any differently. We say, oh, but that's not physical, so it's different. Okay, but people play chess. Chess isn't physical, and it's a game. Oh, but that's not uh, digital and virtual, so it doesn't count. Why? Why doesn't that count? Like, there's no way to make the argument without coming back to arbitrary subjective feelings about what you might think of gaming. And I simply don't care what the government thinks about somebody gaming. Somebody who's a gamer in China could become the Tiger Woods of gaming or the Michael Jordan of gaming. Um, 
somebody who's a gamer in China, maybe that's their only outlet and they have a lot of anxiety and depression and the thing that makes them feel good is just gaming. For the government to just be like, no, we're going to take that away from you. That's, you're, you're not allowed to do that or we're going to strictly limit it. That is definitely authoritarian government, which is why I always say on social issues, I'm pretty much as libertarian as it gets. Libertarian defined as live and let live, do whatever you want as long as you're not hurting anybody else. Um, And in a world where we let people do what they want, people are going to do all sorts of shit. And there are plenty of people out there with obsessive personalities, myself included, where you're going to gravitate towards only doing certain things. You know, I'm a very one-track mind, one-trick pony kind of dude, where, like, I have my show, which I love doing, and then I have my couple hobbies that I love doing, and that's it. You know, I'm not... Some people are, are Renaissance men and Renaissance women, and they, are, they do, like, 20 different things. That's not me, and that's not a lot of people. And why should we be punished under this sort of a system? You know, why should you take away people's outlet and their happiness and their hobby? Why should you come up with arbitrary limits because you personally feel like the video game addiction is a problem. And by the way, the Chinese state media has been hammering away on how this is a problem for a while now. Um, they called it something, they said something like, in the article it says something like, they were arguing it leads to spiritual rot. Now listen, don't get me wrong, are there people who it's an addiction and it's a negative thing? Yes, but I think that's different than somebody who just really likes it or has it as a hobby or even does it professionally. It only becomes an addiction and a negative thing if it has deleterious effects on your life in measurable ways. And if you walk away from playing the, game, playing the games and saying, why did I just waste all that time doing that? I don't feel better. I feel worse. I hate this. Then it's a problem. I actually had that issue when I was, uh, when I was in like high school or early in college with Facebook, where I opened a Facebook and then I, I realized one day I had spent like six hours just fucking around on there, and I was like, why did I do this? I hate this. I feel miserable. I don't like this. And so I deleted Facebook that day, and I never looked back. Um, I mean, that's the only time in my life I feel like I had a negative addiction. There are times that I'm, I get obsessive with things, and I do them, but if I feel like it's fruitful and it's productive and it makes me happier when I'm done with it, then that's not an addiction, even if I spend all day doing it. It's only an addiction if it's negative, and it affects you in a negative way. Um, so who are they? Who's the government to decide? Well, no, it's negative for all of you. Says who? Why? That's not true. You just made that up. So anyway, anyway, that's where we are. And um, no government should have this kind of authority, especially over your social life on social issues. Like that's the most private stuff is what you do with your spare time. Like this is not economics related. This is more private life. It's it just, it's so arbitrary and it's such an overreach and should never happen ever. Thankfully, this is not the kind of authoritarianism that the U.S. has. The U.S. has a different kind of authoritarianism um, and we've discussed all this stuff at length, but the war on drugs is deeply authoritarian. You put, you know, you put in your body whatever you want to put in your body and you're not hurting anybody else and then you get locked up and they'll throw away the key. You know, your life will be ruined and you can't get a job when you get out and all that stuff. So I'm not saying you know, we don't have our own version of authoritarianism. Of course we do. We absolutely do. The NSA spies on everybody illegally. Um, but this particular kind of policy is not one you could see happening in the U.S. In fact, if anything, we sort of encourage the more obsessive mentality 
uh, among the population, and you let people just go in whatever direction they want to go in when it comes to stuff like this. But uh, what else do they say about it? It's a terrible idea. It's an authoritarian idea. It's deeply anti-freedom. It's going to make a lot of people really miserable. I think the outcomes are, they might, you know, game the numbers and say, whoa, now this is positive because they spend X amount more time outside and whatever. And it's like, okay, it's also gross social engineering and uh, generally against that sort of thing. All right, next. So uh, we went after Tucker because Tucker totally flipped on his anti-war position the second it was Biden who really ended the war. Well, there is one person on the right who is seemingly consistent. Take a look at this. Mediaite says, Ann Coulter effusively praises Biden's Afghanistan speech. Unlike Trump, he had the balls to withdraw. Wow. Ann Coulter giving props to a Democrat is something I never thought in my lifetime I would see. So... Um, let me tell you, so here's some of what she tweeted. There's a New York Times tweet that says, President Biden on Tuesday vehemently defended his decision to end the war in Afghanistan, saying the choice was between leaving or escalating. Quote, I was not going to extend this forever war, Biden declared. Uh, Ann Coulter, quote, tweeted that and said, thank you, President Biden, for keeping a promise Trump made, but then abandoned when he got in office. Damn, son. Okay, more. Um... Trump repeatedly, this is from Ann, Trump repeatedly demanded that we bring our soldiers home, but only President Biden had the balls to do it. Here are a true, here, excuse, here are a true, here are a few of Trump's wuss, BS, I mean, masterful tweets. And then uh, she shows some of his old tweets on Afghanistan. I'll give you some of them. Peace through strength. Bring our soldiers home. Vote. He said this in, in 2020, believe it or not. Uh, we are acting as a police force, uh, not the fighting force that we are in Afghanistan. After 19 years, it's time to... What does it say there? Hold on. It's cut off. Let me give it one more look-see. Okay, here we go. Uh, we are acting as a police force, not the fighting force that we are in Afghanistan. After 19 years, it is time for them to police their own country. Bring our soldiers back home, but closely watch what is going on and strike with a thunder like never before, if necessary. Almost three years, but, and this this one was in 2019, almost three years, but it is time for us to get out of these ridiculous, endless wars, many of them tribal, and bring our soldiers home. We will fight where it is to our benefit and only fight to win. Turkey, Europe, Syria, Iran, Iraq, Russia, and the Kurds will now have to, and then it trails off. Um, So that's actually... That's actually not the best example. Here, let me pull up more. Because Trump had been saying this for years, years. Um, And I know because I covered the story. Let's get out of Afghanistan. Our troops are being killed by the Afghanis. We train and we waste billions there. Nonsense. Rebuild the USA. Um, Here we go. This is the one I remember. We should leave Afghanistan immediately. No more wasted lives. If we have to go back in, we go in hard and quick. Rebuild the U.S. first. Afghanistan is a total disaster. We don't know what we are doing. They are, in addition to everything else, robbing us blind. Do not allow our very stupid leaders to sign a deal that keeps us in Afghanistan through 2024. 
uh, with at all costs by USA, with all costs by USA. Make America great. When will we stop wasting our money on rebuilding Afghanistan? We must rebuild our country first. That's all the way back in 2011. Let's get out of Afghanistan. Our troops are being killed by the Afghans we train, and we waste billions there. Nonsense. Rebuild the USA. We have wasted enormous amount of blood and treasure in Afghanistan. Their government has zero appreciation. Let's get out. It is time to get out of Afghanistan. We are building roads and schools for people that hate us. It is not in our national interest. I mean, the list goes on and on. He, it was a common theme of his from even a decade ago where he'd say it nonstop. And then when he got in power, there were a couple times where he looked like he wanted to pull the trigger, and then he cut to the deep state. Some intelligence officials and some generals would come to him and say, sir, here's why we can't do it. And he'd be like, okay, no, you're right. We, should, we totally can't do it. And the only thing he did that was good was negotiate with the Taliban. Um, but even his timeline for withdrawal was really a fake withdrawal. It wasn't fully getting out. So Ann Coulter, surprisingly, is correct. And, I mean, it does go to show you, if you actually believe in the principle of America first, you would agree with this. And you would notice and you would recognize that all of the scrutiny going on for the withdrawal was missing for the actual 20-year occupation in the war, where it, the withdrawal was the most orderly part of the entire war. And the media just wasn't hypercritical and didn't scrutinize the occupation itself. If you really were America first, you would understand that. You would be skeptical. You would be critical of the fake news media. But no, now the same people who scream fake news believe the news completely. Well, Ann Coulter doesn't. Uh, don't, go too, don't go too far in giving her credit, though, because she's a paleocon, um, which is like sort of like the Pat Buchanan um, version of conservatism. So they're not neocons. They don't want endless war, but they're very, very restrictive here at home. Um, they really hate immigrants, and they're, many of them are deeply bigoted and xenophobic. Um, and that's Ann Coulter for sure. But at least on the war, she's right, and at least she's being principled on it, and she doesn't care about the partisan cheerleading. And she's saying, yeah, no, it's good that we ended the war. And she's one of the only people, if not the only people on the right, who's saying that, that if you really believe in America first, this is some America first stuff. So don't be a hack. Okay, next. Vice spoke to some Purple Heart veterans on the withdrawal from Afghanistan and uh, how they feel about it. And this is really interesting. Let's watch and then we'll discuss. What has it been like for you guys watching the war end the way that it's ending? The military leadership, the advisors of the president are cowards. Cowards. Straight scared to tell them no. You can't, you can't tell me that you're going to leave American lives, allies, to fend for themselves. It's totally wrong, and it makes me, as an American, it makes me sad to be an American. We, we removed ourselves in a way that, that doesn't make sense. They left millions of people destitute. Our country let them down. We made a promise to them. Our, we, we made promises to them on face-to-face level. Like individually. Yeah. Individually. We made promises to them, and I think that's really what hurts the most, is these people that we, our friends died for, are now having to relive the same wars that we fought and, and, and many of us died to change. And that's, that's devastating. 
what do you think could have been done differently for this to have ended differently? Uh, man, ended differently, I, like, I don't know who's to say, but it should have happened in a way that everyone was allowed enough time to get out of there, allow us to get all information out there. Because the thing is, the intel we had, tons of intel, like, who knows what the guys left, log books, uh, any kind of information that we had of what's going on, what's going on next. You know, that, that's a lot of information that the Taliban now control. If we were to ever get into some type of conflict again in the future, and we're talking about building the governance or sustainability of, of, a, of a country or a region, there has to be an exit plan before we even say, like, yes, let's send people there. I think the, the American spirit is always, you know, willing to stand up and, and fight for the preservation of our freedoms. And when 9-11 happened, that entire event basically thrusted us into armed conflict, but there was no exit strategy. It was developing kind of like as, as we were. We were basically making the rules up as we kind of went along. I don't think the American population as a whole understands the sacrifice, the heart that we left over there. And imagine working and striving and fighting tooth and nail with your actual life every day, thinking that you're making a difference, and then one day you wake up and it's all gone. We'll undoubtedly see veteran lives lost because of this. We'll undoubtedly see people commit suicide because everything that they fought for feels like it was in vain. Veterans are going to kill themselves because of this, and I don't think the, the men in suits are quite aware of that just yet. Do you think it was in vain? Yeah, I do. You know, as somebody that bled in that war, as all of us have, the guys that didn't come home, what are they, why? Why did they not come home? These are 19, 20, 20 year old kids that never got to come home, never got to start their lives, and we abandoned them. We abandoned those, those guys, and that's, that's, that's hurtful. What is your understanding of why you were there in the first place? When I was 19 years old, that's when I was there on my first deployment. I went to my sergeant as a young lance corporal, and uh, I said, Sergeant Hens, why, why are we here? Why are we here? You know, on the day that we lost one of my good friends, why are we here? And he said, well, because of 9-11. I said, well, that was 10 years ago. That's 10 years ago. It doesn't make sense anymore. And then I really started to take stock in where I was, what I was doing, and ultimately who I was doing it for. It's about these guys, these guys and girls. And that's, that's the only... The only thing that wasn't in vain was our fighting for each other. So I find that whole thing really interesting because um, it's really clear that they're conflicted. They're conflicted about everything. They're um, confused about everything. They somehow, like, they somehow know that they were lied to, but they also can't let go of some of the beliefs you know, that rest on the premise that they weren't lied to. Um, so, I mean, right up front, I'll just say, these, these people are not the problem. These people are, they were kids when they enlisted and they wanted to create a better life and they wanted to, they thought, you know, protect the country and all those things. And they were misled and they were lied to and they were used, and they were abused. So let's go through some of what was said there. Um, they start out being pretty tough on Biden because they say the military leaders are cowards. They basically couldn't tell Biden no. Um, listen, they tried. The, those military leaders tried to tell Biden no, but Biden stood up to them and was like, no, you're not going to convince me on this. I know I'm right. We're done. We're getting out of there. Uh, by the way, there's a story – I forget which book it was in, but there's a story about how Biden warned Obama 
early on in his first term that the generals like to flex their power and sort of take advantage of young presidents. Don't let them do that to you. And then Obama proceeded to do the surge in Afghanistan, which would suggest that, you know, the generals were really the ones steering the ship and controlling everything. So he didn't take Biden's advice, but Biden held strong and he said no. Then you have them saying, well, you can't, this is messed up because you can't leave American allies to fend for themselves. We made promises to them. So for them, it's personal because they were on the ground and they know a lot of these people. So they feel like, how can I abandon this person who's been helping my interpreter and whoever's been helping me? It feels wrong. But, you know, I mean, my response to them would be, um, the time is always right to do what's right. And if the whole thing was a mistake to begin with, then you got to get out. And he says you can't leave Americans to fend for themselves. I mean, listen, or American allies, some of these allies, as has been documented and as we talked about, are warlords with child sex slaves. And when our own military blew the whistle on some of these warlords with child sex slaves, they were kicked out of the military. And everybody said, don't rock the boat. These are our allies. We need them. Really? You need pedophile rapists to be on your team to do what? Make Afghanistan free and safe and secure? But if pedophile rapists are running it, it's by definition not free and secure because there are pedophile rapists who have power and control and can do pedophilia and rape. So, again, this is what's so interesting about listening to their commentary on it. On the one hand, it's like they had these beliefs like everything was on the up and up and they were told the truth and that's their operating system and their framework for the world and what happened with the war. But at the same time, they also sort of know they were lied to. Um, one of them says, listen, next time we do any war, there should be an exit plan from day one. We can't really make it up as we go along. So they seem to know that, like, yeah, we were sort of winging it the whole time. Right. That's right. Um, the part that really hit hardest was when one of them says, you know, you think you're making a difference and you're doing all these good things and you wake up one day and it's all gone. And yes, it was all in vain. Yeah, I mean, again, a lot of people went over there with good intentions, with, you know, defend the homeland or make a place of democracy or whatever they were thinking. And all I can say to these people is you were misled and you were used and we weren't trying to create a democracy or bring about human rights and we weren't even necessarily trying to defend the country because... We killed Osama bin Laden in 2011. We eliminated, virtually eliminated al-Qaeda in Afghanistan in 2009. We were there for a decade longer. Why were we there? Because it really wasn't about defending the homeland or whatever nonsense everybody was sold. Um, and then they say, listen, we abandoned kids who didn't get to come home, 19, 20-year-olds who went over there to fight, and they died, and why did they die? We abandoned them by leaving Afghanistan. But what I would say in response is, how many more of those kids do you want to create by staying? Because we would have created a lot more of them. We would have had a lot more dead 20-year-old soldiers, for sure. Never mind how many thousands more dead Afghans. Do you want to continue to continue making the mistake and killing more 20-year-olds just so you feel like we're not abandoning the ones that died in vain in the first place? That just doesn't make much sense. And then finally, he says, um, the end, they're like, I asked, why are we here? And, you know, the leader said because of 9-11. And they were able to piece it together. That doesn't really make much sense. That was so long ago. You know, they probably knew that al-Qaeda was decimated in Afghanistan. So really, why the hell are we here? And they were looking for a better answer. And um, there wasn't a better answer provided. And so what they fell back on is we're here to protect our brothers and sisters in uniform. So we're here for each other. We're looking after each other. 
and I get that. And, you know, there's probably a bond that's created in war that's a type of bond that somebody will never understand if they've never been to war. And they've never had to protect somebody else's life and you protect their life. And, I mean, you're really close in a situation like that. But what I would say to them is, at what cost? If, we did, if the war shouldn't have been done in the first place, if the war ended up killing tens of thousands of innocent people, ended up killing over 2,000 American soldiers who shouldn't have died, if the end result is the country's right back where it started, if all we did was waste $8 trillion between all the wars in the Middle East and we have nothing to show for it, if all that really happened was exploitation of natural resources in the military-industrial complex getting wealthy, um, I, you can have that bond with people and you can look out for your brothers and sisters in uniform, but the best way to look after them is to not send them into harm's way in the first place, is, is to try, make sure war is a last resort. And clearly we weren't thinking that way. The government wasn't thinking that way. And that's not how they think about these things. They don't think in terms of defense of the, of the country. They had ulterior motives. So the best way to support the troops is to not send them to fight and die in vain. And as they acknowledged, it was in vain. So it, it's really interesting to hear them talk because they're, they live in permanent cognitive, cognitive dissonance. They hold on to some of the beliefs as if they were told the truth, but they also sort of know they were lied to. So um, ultimately, I think Biden did the right thing. I think we should have ended the war sooner, and I think we should end the other ones that are just as useless, if not more so. Okay, next. Sean Hannity, when it was Donald Trump who was, um, you know, pretending to be against the Afghanistan war, Sean Hannity was right there with him and he was supporting him and he thought Trump was right. Now that it's Biden who actually ended the war, naturally he flips because he's a partisan hack and all he cares about is arguing Republicans are good and Democrats are bad. He has on Oliver North here and um, they're going to talk about Biden's speech where he quadrupled down, quintupled down on getting out of Afghanistan and uh, they're going to have some hilarious attacks against him. I watched that those Southern remarks today, and I, I have decided that what may well be happening is that his aides now know he is incompetent, mentally incompetent, to carry out the mission of the President of the United States. Okay? Not only just this botched mission, but anything else. And I think what they're doing is they're setting him up for a 25th Amendment expulsion from office. God help us when, if Kamala, Kamala, what's her, what's her name, Kamala? I would take his own Kamala Harris. I would take, it would take his entire cabinet to do, or it would take his cabinet to do that. Well, that's well, I will say there is a great discernment here. If you look at the disastrous last couple of press conferences he's had, it is, it, it, there's been three unmitigated disasters. And then I oh, guess they gave him a lot of caffeine today or whatever. Yeah, you go be tough, Joey. And, and he was late as usual, hours late, and I'm sure just practicing. No, put more force behind it. Yell, yell, lecture, you know. And well, and well, look at but, but there's something really. You don't go from no energy to like the Energizer Bunny, just like that. There's there's medicines for that. Oh. No, no, no. I mean, there, there really is. I mean, this this 
injections you can take, his pills you can take, and obviously he got some of those today. But the, the bottom line of it is that the decisions that are being made, even more so than the botched responses that he has to take, which is probably why he didn't take any questions today, but somebody's now stopped that much. But why did he make the decisions he did? And my answer to that is never, ever underestimate the power of blackmail. We look at we know from just Hunter's laptop that money changed hands, and that if that's revealed, he's toast. They'll impeach him. He was blackmailed into pulling out of Afghanistan. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. What he pulled out of Afghanistan to prevent a Hunter Biden dick pic from leaking? What? <laughs> And even the thing of, like, if money changed hands, he's toast, they'll impeach him. Money changes hands all the time in Washington, D.C., and nothing happens. Donald Trump took hundreds of thousands of dollars through his D.C. hotel, given to him by the Saudis, and then he approved a multi-billion dollar weapons deal to that theocratic, authoritarian, genocidal government, and nobody said anything, and nobody did anything. We already know that Joe Biden and, and, and Hunter are corrupt with the whole... Ukraine thing and him sitting on the energy board and getting paid a tremendous amount of money and they were just trying to buy access to Joe Biden. Nothing came about from that. Why? Because that's the way all of Washington, D.C. works. It's legalized bribery. It's corruption. It's out in the open. It's the swamp and they all participate in it. The idea they would impeach him over that is absolute nonsense. They were talking about maybe impeaching him over the withdrawal from Afghanistan, like the one great thing he did. Meanwhile, then he kills civilians with a drone strike and nobody says anything. But blackmailed into pulling out of Afghanistan. What? That makes absolutely no sense. Um, but my favorite part is, of course, injections and pills. By the way, this is how you know Biden gave a good speech. Is He made good points. He freaked it. He delivered it well. And so they're saying, he couldn't have actually just done that and said the right things and did the right things and delivered it well. He had to just be high as balls. Which, by the way, is probably true. <laughs> he was high as balls, but they didn't take, that doesn't take away from the substance of what he said or the fact he gave a good speech. Trump was high as balls all the time on Adderall, and I never knocked him for it. In fact, I want, I'd rather have Biden or Trump on some sort of stimulant to make sure that their decrepit, falling apart, 70-however-year-old bodies aren't, you know, totally failing them and, and making them slower and not as capable. So, yeah, inject away. Pop those pills, baby, and send some my way while you're at it. I mean, that's not a knock. That shouldn't be a knock, but they say it like, this guy might be on something. There were reports that your guy snorted Adderall. How many times did he do in the debates when he's arguing with Hillary? Did he do this? He would, he would always, he was a sniffer. He would sniff. And that's, you know, anybody who's ever snorted anything knows that's what happens. Is when you snort shit, whether it's Adderall or Coke or whatever, you'll, you end up doing that, sniffing. You got a little drip going on. So Trump probably did Adderall. Biden might be doing something. Either way, I support it. I mean, they're so goddamn old, they probably need it just to keep up with the pace of a regular 30-some-odd-year-old or 40-some-odd-year-old. Um, but I love how all that's insane. So they say his aides know he's mentally incompetent. Why? Because he made the one phenomenal decision of getting out of Afghanistan. That's how they know. By the way, Joe Biden is slowing down mentally for sure. I've called that out a million times. But that doesn't mean he didn't make the right decision on Afghanistan. He did make the right decision on Afghanistan. He could be slow as hell, but if he keeps making the right decisions, then shit, riding with Biden, baby. I don't care. As long as he makes the right decisions, I don't care what he sounds like or how much slower he is. 
I mean, again, take the pills. And that, that'll fix that problem anyway. Um, and then they say, well, they're going to they're do the 25th Amendment to remove them. There was a lot of talk about 25th Amendment, 25th Amendment, 25th Amendment during Trump's time in office. Nothing came of it. My guess is the exact same thing is going to happen with Biden. However, the difference is Biden actually is pissing off the deep state and the military-industrial complex and the intelligence agencies. So he is a little bit more of a threat to powerful interests than Trump ever was. So maybe it is a little bit more real, but I don't think it's as real as they're making it out to be. I don't think it, we're on the brink of it like they were making it out to be. But this is the kind of conversation that they're having. Again, Sean Hannity supported the withdrawal when it was Trump talking about doing it. Now Biden actually follows through, and he flips. Oh, he's mentally incompetent. Oh, they're going to use the 25th Amendment to remove him. Oh, he's doing injections and pills. Oh, he's being blackmailed or something. Imagine a black, like some blackmail over Hunter Biden's dick. And he's like, I, I got to pull out of Afghanistan. Imagine that's how it really went. But that's what these idiots think. Okay. Next. Here we go. So as the world crumbles, climate change is destroying everything. Lake Tahoe is being evacuated from wildfires and the smoke and um, hurricanes are hitting every 17 seconds. Um, the economy falls apart. The COVID surges. Uh, thankfully, the one good thing we pulled out of Afghanistan, but of course the Taliban took over. Everything's falling apart. Um, but don't worry. There's a Fox host who found the silver lining. Everything's going great, guys. We promise. Just look at the stock market. I've been covering the market since 1975. I've seen crashes, I've seen rallies, but I've never seen a stock price surge like the one we're in right now. It is a real stunner. The night Donald Trump was elected in 2016, the Dow was at 18,000. In less than five years, it's almost doubled. That is a rally and a half. Trump cut taxes, got the ball rolling. COVID choked the economy, but Congress spent a couple of trillion dollars the Fed printed a few trillion more. It was a wall of money that kept on coming and kept on boosting stocks. There's more money still to come, and stocks are still setting record highs. Look, if you're new to the financial world, you may be surprised. The professionals are surprised, too. After all, the news background is pretty grim. Your TV screen is littered with images of chaos and suffering in Afghanistan. Your Facebook feed lists the Delta surge, mask and vaccine mandates. That's not exactly positive. Your grocery bill tells you inflation is real, and so does your gas bill. There are plenty of negatives, and yet, and yet, the market goes up. Wall Street doesn't make many headlines, but it really should. We all benefit from the surge in wealth creation. Investing is no longer just for the elites. It's being democratized. I've seen the introduction of IRAs, 401ks, free trading, cryptos, Robinhood. Seems like everyone is getting into the financial action, and everyone worries they're going to lose it all. That's part of investing. There's always risk. Let me close with this. The Dow, the S&P, and the Nasdaq are all at or very close to record highs. The total value of all stocks is now $47 trillion, and you are a part of that. No, you are most likely not part of that. So just to put this in perspective, the top 
owns 40% of stocks. So it's almost half. Top 1% almost has half of all the stocks. The top 10% own 80% of the stocks. So the stock market is not really a reflection of how your average Joe and Jane are doing. Stock market is a reflection of how the elite are doing and how corporations are doing. And by the way, he doesn't talk about the obvious tricks to juice the numbers, juice the books. Uh, stock buybacks, for example, which was at a record high after Donald Trump's terrible 2017 tax cut bill. Um, yeah, this is, not, this is not anything to cheer. This is not something that's good for your average person. This is really what it is, is a, a moniker, and it's indicative of the tremendous income and wealth inequality that we have in this country, that we really do live in two different Americas. And it's funny, he brings up $47 trillion um, of wealth creation. That's almost the exact number that we learned from the Rand Corporation in a study that um, the, has been stolen from the bottom 90% by the top fraction of the top 1%. So if you just had the same wealth distribution that we had um, after World War II and up through the early 1970s, if you just had that same wealth distribution and income and wealth inequality today, the bottom 90% would be $47 trillion wealthier than it is. So the policies that have been implemented, anti-union stuff, terrible trade stuff, terrible tax policy, that has led to basically the top 1% robbing the bottom 90%. And if we just had that same wealth distribution that we had back during the golden age of economic expansion in the U.S., every single person in the bottom 90% would be $1,144 richer per month every month for the rest of their life. That's just if we kept it the same during the, the golden age of economic expansion in the U.S., if the ratio stayed the same. And he's bringing that up as if it's like, well, you're a part of this thing. Isn't it great? No, we're not. Top 1% owns 40% of the stocks. Top 10% owns 80% of the stocks. It's not really democratized. It's a reflection of how the elites are doing. And by the way, let me just say that Richard Wolff's theory is that where the real inflation has occurred is the stock market, is the stock market. So yeah, it's massively inflated, but it's not connected to anything. And it appears to be totally arbitrary and random that it's, you know, the stock market is doing well as everything else crumbles in the country. Well, the answer is there's quantitative easing and there's endless Fed bailouts. I mean, they pumped trillions of dollars into the market in one day during COVID when everything was crashing. So it's artificially propped up. It's a house of cards. That's where the inflation is. It's in the market. But listen, what does this show you about Stuart Barney? As long as the wealthy and the corporations are, are getting theirs and doing well, as long as the elites are taken care of, he's happy. He even lists all the other stuff. He's like, we got COVID surging. We got this problem. We got that problem. The whole, everything's falling apart. But everything's great because the stock market's great. No, everything's terrible, and the stock market is not an indicator of how average people are doing. That's the obvious takeaway, but it goes right over his head because he's as elite as they get. Okay. All right. Trust in media, baby. Let's do it. So we have some more new numbers out about trust in media. Let me show you this. This is from Pew. Um, wider partisan gaps emerge in trust of national and local news organizations and social media. 
the percentage of U.S. adults who say they have a lot or some trust in the information that comes from national news organizations, local news organizations, and social media. Now, notice the way they worded this. It's actually kind of tricky. They say, do you have a lot of or some trust in media? When they phrase it that way, the numbers are a little better than the poll I'm going to show you in a second. But you can see here, it fell for everybody. Um, when it comes to Democrats, there was 83% in 2016 supported the media and thought they had some trust in them. Now it's 78%. All adults, it went from 76% to 58%. And Republicans, it went from 70% all the way down to 35% trust national media. Uh, you could see there that local news does a little bit better. And social media is just in the toilet, and it's always been in the toilet because people rightly are like, this is trash. Um, and also they do a lot of uh, deplatforming and censorship, and they try to micromanage it, and it's a joke. Uh, let me show you this next one. 56% of Americans agree with the statement that journalists and reporters are purposely trying to mislead people by saying things they know are false or gross exaggerations. 58% think that most news organizations are more concerned with supporting an ideology or political position than with informing the public. And then, um, let me scroll down here, you see, this is crazy, percentage of Americans who trust traditional media. This is trust, not some trust, but just trust. It dropped massively from nearly 60% all the way down to 46%. So, what do we attribute this to? I don't know if these polls were done. That last poll definitely wasn't done before this Afghanistan freakout. But I, I think trust in media will go down maybe even more after that. But it probably has a lot to do with COVID. You know, it has a lot to do with every step of the way, people stumbling and getting stuff wrong and presenting it as if it was irrefutable fact. And then we learn eventually that it's wrong. So misinformation on COVID, um, probably doing a piss poor job covering the 2016 and 2020 election clearly having narratives, clearly uh, not caring about truth first and foremost, clearly not focusing on the more important issues. And again, now with Afghanistan, this, I don't think this is reflected in the polls, but because I think they were done just before that, but with the whole Afghanistan thing, you can't tell me that the media doesn't have a pro-war bias. You can't tell me that they don't represent the interests of the military-industrial complex and the deep state and the intelligence agencies and the Pentagon and the State Department. They obviously do. They obviously do. So... People are right to not trust the media. People are correct. And there's even other ways you phrase it. If you phrase the question in other ways, it drops even more. Support's like near 30%. And it's crazy because that's supposed to be the place where you turn to get your news and information about the world, to, get, to learn things that matter. And a lot of people don't trust it. And they're right not to trust it, which is crazy. They're failing uh, on so many levels. And... Um, I mean, listen, I think that's why you have the growth of new media. And um, it comes with, we come with our own baggage, and there are other issues that we have to deal with when it comes to new media. And sometimes people get caught into this preach to the choir, tell the audience what they want to hear thing. Um, that's probably the biggest negative incentive that exists in new media, but the incentives in new media are a lot better than the incentives in old media. So, and I think a lot of people recognize that. But there you have it. If anything, I predict that this number will continue to go down. Okay. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, with that, we're going to go ahead and call it a day. So I will not be, I will not be,
here next week. I'm taking a vacation. First time in a very long time I've taken a vacation. Um, really looking forward to it. There's stuff that will upload on the YouTube channel, new stuff that will upload on the YouTube channel while I'm gone that you'll be interested in seeing, so take a look at that. Um, there will be a, a Crystal Kyle and Friends that drops. It was recorded last week, but it will be going up this week. So it'll kind of be like I'm here, even though I'm not here. And then obviously, if I see something that I can't help myself, I will record a video right on my phone and upload it. So anyway, love you guys. I'll talk to you soon. Everybody, enjoy your week. If you don't hear from me, I'm out. Peace.